1: You can find the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other major podcast platforms. Stepping to the batter box. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. We are going to take a trip today down memory lane. You might be asking yourself, what is memory lane? Well, we are going to revisit the four epic state championship seasons from the Hempstead Mustangs. And we have a member of each team Joining us to tell us about the glory days, our first guest is from the 1974 state championship team, and it is Mike Dunzer. Joining us from the 1978 state championship team is Jeff Potts and a member of the legendary back-to-back state champs from 1983 to 1984, a former neighbor of mine, Mark Gassman. Guys, welcome to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast.
2: Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us.
1: us. Now, guys, this was an audience-requested show, so hopefully your friends are older than I am but hopefully they know what a podcast is and hopefully you can explain that and and provide a link to them so so they can listen to this but we're going to start off here now Mike when you think about your team from that 1974 state championship group who were some of the stud players that were on your team
0: well there's the, the biggest stud of all and a lot of people probably remember him. He had his shoulders above everybody on the team um, for the year. I still remember this. He, he batted for the year. I think he batted 508 for the season. And he never struck out his senior year. He never, never once struck out. His senior year had like 35 out of 36 stolen bases, uh, and he was just—he was—he was an athlete. I mean, he played basketball at Hempstead, and he, and he, and I think he ran track, but mainly he was just running from from other guys trying to get after him. Because he, the thing about think about our that crew of guys is. We all grew up, in Jeff, you remember this, we all played in that independent league at, at Holy Ghost. And that's where all this, all the, every one of them played in the independent league. And that's where the talent all came from. Um, but Kevin Romberg uh, was the head and shoulders, the, the leader of that team, uh, Had played, and started for Coach Cork at shortstop for three years. I think he played one or two games his sophomore year, uh, at shortstop and then he got pulled up for three years for coach core at, at shortstop and he was an all state player. Um, went on to play college ball. Uh, went on to got was drafted by the Cleveland Indians and actually got a cup of coffee with the Indians. Uh, you I can remember game, games he played uh, up in, against the Brewers up in Old County Stadium. And there's a whole bunch of stories, backstories on that that adventure too, with all his friends coming up from from the North End and from the from the Holy Trinity area, because that's where he was he grew up uh, on the Romberg Avenue area. And uh, but there's guys like Jeff Merritt and Greg Merritt, uh, th- those guys. We had a bunch of juniors that year that that started. Uh, I think uh, there was only seniors that started. Uh, were Kevin, Robert, Jeff Merritt, and uh, Terry Townsend, who start, was our starting center, center fielder. And those guys were the three seniors. And then we had – we had, uh, and plus we had – Dean was a starting pitcher, a senior, and everybody else were, were all juniors that year because uh, we had uh, – uh, Greg Merritt started behind the plate. John Kaufman was a big old first baseman for us. God, he used to hit some towering drives. Even down in independent league, he used to hit on, the, on this. I think it's the South Field at at, at, at Holy Ghost. He used to hit him up over those big old poplar trees that uh, over the fen, the out, outfield fence down there. And uh, I started at second. Terry McGinnis started at third. Uh, Jeff Merritt was. Uh, but out and left, Terry Townsend in center, and uh, Gary Schultz was a, was our right fielder. And then late in the year, he brought uh, Coach Corr brought up uh, Mike Delaney, who I think uh, a lot of people know. He was a heck of a, a ball player, and actually went on and was very successful in fast pitch softball. And played and got to play. I think if he, he might have gotten to play in the Olympics with uh, with the. With the USA softball team, he was that good, but, but we had, that was pretty much the core, and those guys were, it was a group of guys that, they were just hard-nosed guys, kids, and we were, it wasn't like we were big buddies or anything, but we all had, the coach core got us,
1: and we played together, and it was fun to play. It's funny when you mention Kevin Romberg, because when I coached at Hempstead with Jeff Rapp, there would be balls that would be hit that nobody would ever have a chance of of catching. And he would always say to me, Romberg would have caught that. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said that Coach Core would always tell that to him whenever they coached together, that whenever there was a ball hit, whether it was in no man's land or up the middle or in the hole or even on the warning track in the outfield, if it fell, Coach Core would always respond with, Romberg would have caught that. Now, Jeff, same question for you, Jeff Potts from the 1974 state champ. I'm sorry, 1978 state championship team. Who were some of the stud players that were on that 1978
2: team? Well, I, I would say probably the, the person that comes to mind first was uh, Mike Ehlers. He was our pitcher, uh, our number one pitcher. He played first base when he didn't pitch, uh, he was uh, what I would refer to as a five-tool guy. Uh, he could throw, he could run, he could—he could, he could just—he was just a complete high school baseball player. Uh, he, he did everything well. He just really, really was a good baseball player. And then we had a supporting cast, uh, a very similar to the '74 team. We were really uh, junior-laden. I mean, we had some decent seniors uh, that were all state athletes in other sports. But the true baseball players were, besides probably myself and Mike Ayler's and maybe Dan Kennedy, the other folks were better at other, They were just better at other sports. And, you know, back in those days, like when Mike and I played and even a little bit when Mark, uh, Mark played as well, we had multiple sport athletes out there. Uh, we really, I don't think we had, the, it hadn't transitioned yet to the specialization, if you will, if you were a baseball player, you played baseball, basketball, you did basketball. Uh, we had just true athletes, and, and I, I had to laugh because I was thinking about what, it, what to say, and I know that we had seven first-team All-State athletes on that championship team. Of seventy eight, which you think about, they were football players, they were basketball players, they were baseball players. There was, there was a track uh, first team all state track uh, participant, unbelievable amount of athletic ability, and you know you can go right down the list of all the juniors that played, but uh, you know the core, the core really was I think the seniors on that team, uh, uh, myself, Mike Ayler's, Dan Kennedy. Uh, really were the nucleus and then we had uh, guys like marty ball steve schmidt that were really really role players but you know very instrumental in us uh, having success so you know really i always i always thought uh, playing for dick and coaching with dick is he was masterful at putting the puzzle together he had pieces that he could he just was able to do that very, very well. He had good athletes, and he knew how to get the best out of those athletes. And, and he had the baseball players in the right spot, right? I mean, he had he had the pitchers there, and he had the the infielders that he needed to the nucleus there. But he was masterful at putting that that puzzle together.
1: Yeah, I always talk about when I played for Coach Core. We would always practice things that you could play baseball for fifteen years. And possibly never see some of the things that you would practice. But when something came up, you were always prepared for that. Now, Mark, you might be a little bit more long winded here because you were actually members of two state championship teams back to back in nineteen. 19- 83 and 1984. Now, don't be shy because everybody said if you get somebody on from the 83 and 84 team, you got to get Mark Gasman. He was one of the big studs on the team. So besides yourself, who were some of the great players that were on those back-to-back state championship teams and a little bit about their roles as well?
3: Yeah, I think that, like Jeff said, we had so many good athletes. One thing that's unique to our team, I really believe looking at our team, especially from 84, Position by position, we had college level baseball players at each position. Now they not now. of them decided to play college baseball. Some went on to play college football or other sports. But position by position, so we had. we were fortunate to have two first team All State players and Rush Ruby, and myself, Tom Potts was second team All State, which is pretty unique to have three players on your team at that high level in All State awards. But if you look around the horn from the catcher position, Brian Gross was one of the few juniors that started our senior year in 84. Um, He's a college level player. Decided not to go to college, had some professional tryouts, I believe, but was definitely a college level player. First base, Pat Manders, over 300 hitter, played at University of Dubuque. Tom Potts, you know, second team All State, hit 380, um, played at UNI, and then come back and play at University of Dubuque. I played shortstop and pitched. Jim Artisan was an All-American Junior College quarterback at Ellsworth, broke all kinds of records, and was a Division One scholarship quarterback at Missouri, and things just didn't work out for him there. But. And then you go to the outfield, Brian McDermott, hit over 300, had great speed, threw the ball well, played good defense. Um, he decided to, he knew he wanted to go to school at Iowa. He tried to walk on. I think he was one of the last cuts before you know he didn't quite make the team at Iowa. Um, you go to center field, you go to Mike Hodge, great track athlete, one of the fastest players i ever played with at any level um, could just really run down the ball, through well, um, great at getting on base, end up, being, end up being the starting center fielder at University of Wyoming. And then in right field, you know, Russ Ruby, um, no doubt in my mind was the best player in the state in 84. If you look at his stats in 84, it's pretty crazy. You know, he hit 450, hit over 500 most of the season. Uh, end of the season at 450, tail off a little bit toward the end of the season. Um, 19 home runs, uh, nine and one as a pitcher, 1.2 something the RA, and uh, like a four or five to one strikeout to walk ratio, and just dominated high school um, baseball that season. Going into our senior season, to give you an idea, going into our senior season, the school record for home runs was nine. Um, Russ Rush broke that record like the 12th game into the season. Oh wow! So, so yeah, here's Ontario from the opening tip all the way through. But uh how many number, did he number number how many did, did he end, end up with
1: that year if you don't mind me asking. Do you remember? 19. 19 and did Romberg beat that with 20 because isn't Romberg the the record holder at Hempstead for state? I'm sorry for Hempstead home runs or not? Let he really is. I oh. think
3: there's some debate whether the record is 19 or
0: if it's 20. Okay yeah, I, I, I myself. I don't recall.
3: Okay. I, think it, excuse me, I think he hit a home run in a raid late game, but it ended up later being counted, which would have been 20.
1: Okay, yeah, because I I know when I go to games at Hempstead, I look at the programs, and I know the home run record is 20. So, okay, I've heard that Russ Ruby has hit home runs that still have not landed yet. Can you confirm <laughs> or deny that rumor?
3: Yeah, and, and the, the funny thing about Russ was is that he was not a pull hitter. He was so physically strong, he just muscled the ball, hit lasers to right center on the Pennsylvania Avenue or over Pennsylvania Avenue. And I think, you know, all the years I played with and against Russ, I saw him pull the ball for a home run maybe two or three times ever. But just so physically strong, hitting line drives that are still going up as they cleared the fence in right center field at, at Hempstead.
1: Yeah, and and this was before that large fence, and and that fence in right center, a power alley, you think, I don't even think it's 300 feet out there, but not to take anything away from him him at all. Either of you guys, before we uh, move on to our next question, have anything to add? Did you happen to forget anybody you feel needs to be mentioned? Mike, Jeff, Mark, anybody?
0: I, I want to. I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the the, the pitchers we had, because like Jeff said, uh, you know, he Coach Core was instrumental in. He knew how to put the put the puzzle together, and we had uh, a group of pitchers. Uh, Mark Dean, who won the state championship game for us. Uh, Joe Spinoso was a junior right-hander for us, and Tim Nimbers was a left-handed uh, junior for us. Those three guys were the the workhorses for us that year. With compared to Jeff's and Mark's years, we only actually played thirty ball games all year. We, I think, at that time there was only two classes, so so we had to win six or seven ball games. Just to get to the, I think it was five ball games. Just to get to the, the they only had a four team uh, state tournament, and so you had to win. I, think, I can't recall if we had to win four or six games. I was going through my head last night trying to remember the, uh, who, we were, who we had to play. I remember, I think we had to play six games to win it all, and we were like eighteen and five or nineteen and five going into this, the the postseason. And Coach Cork sat us down and said, "What do you think?" And we said. We just win six. We win seven. We'll take them one at a time, but that's a, that's our goal, and that's the way we went. And with those pitchers, we had uh, Mark Dean, Spinoso, and and Tim Nembers. Those were the guys that that
1: carried us. I mean, they we we they were they were phenomenal pitchers. Patsy, how about yeah. you? Uh, anybody that you left off, or anything you'd like to add on?
2: Uh, not really, other than, you know, there were, there were some really, really good juniors uh, that, that actually uh, contributed to making uh, the 78 championship team. At, by the end of the year, we were really, really good. And, and I, I always thought that the development of the pitchers, Tim Carlson, uh, Mark Merritt, uh, that was the catalyst to us becoming a really, really good team because we were great when Mike pitched. But when Mike didn't pitch, we we just basically had to out-hit people. And that that that's generally what happened until about the middle of the, the conference season in 78 is when those uh, two young kids really, really threw the ball well and were really the, the difference maker uh, as we got down the line. Because as Mike alluded to, there were only two classes when we played. And I, I guess I don't really remember when they switched over to – three and four A and and all of that, but we were we were two A and uh we uh we 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 had to play I believe it was six games, Mike. You had to play four games to get down to Marshalltown and then you had to win two at Marshalltown to be the state champs. And so you you know you needed depth and you needed uh you needed some uh some timely hitting and, and that's where we really came through in seventy eight with the timely hitting.
1: Mark, how about you, anybody that you left off the list or anybody that popped up that you want to recognize before we move on?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's some key role players that Dick would plug into spots. You know, Coach Core, like Jeff mentioned earlier, and Mike, This does a great job of plugging people into spots to make them successful. So when Russ Ruby pitched, Marty Rundy played right field. And the state championship game, 84, he made a great catch to basically save the game to help us win that game. Um, Jeff Rowan would play shortstop when I pitched, and Jeff had some, some great plays at the state tournament also. So um, Dick did a great job of moving people around to have the best success, put people in position to have success. Um, that's one of the best things he did as a coach, I believe. And uh, all, all those individuals knew their role, and they were, they just played to the best of their ability. And uh, the rest of the team just kept pushing everybody to get better and expect to lobby each other. So there's no slackers on those teams. Like Mike Siderato, we all played against each other independently. And the competition started there. And then when you play together, you just had to step it up in order, in order to get the it paint.
1: It's great hearing these stories, and it's great hearing some of these names because I coached many of these players, <laughs> children at Hempstead. And Mark, I believe you mentioned a Hodge and he was one of the fastest players in the state. Well, I had his son who was one of the fastest players in the state at the time come in and uh, steal a base for us in a tournament game. And he didn't know the signs. He, I was coaching first base. Coach Rapp was on third. And and he goes, what's the steal sign? I said, I don't know. Just go right now. And he took it's off real. and then uh, ended up winning the game for us there. Now, When you guys have talked about the landscape of how the classes were back then, now in Iowa, I think of the Iowa City West as a powerhouse, Cedar Rapids Kennedy as a powerhouse, the Des Moines schools are always very good, Johnson. Now, when you guys played, who were some of the powerhouses? Who are some of the traditionally top programs and who are some of those outstanding players from other teams that you guys, uh, played against during your season. And we'll start with Mike from the 1974 state championship team.
0: Well, that's a, that's a great question because before that was, um, two things in regards to that state tournament year. Um, that was before. The, that was the old Valley, the old Mississippi Valley. I think we still had Davenport schools. Uh, I know we played Muscatine. They were they were uh, uh, they were in the Valley. We we played uh, the Iowa City schools, the Cedar Rapids schools. I don't think um, Waterloo East or Waterloo West were in our conference yet. Then I think they were still in the what they called the Big Eight with Fort Dodge and all those other schools, Marshalltown, and along with them. Um, probably the, the toughest conference games that we played were probably the inner city games. They were tough. I mean, we we played both Wallard and Senior. Wallard wasn't in the conference. They were still an independent, but they were still, they had a good program with Coach J.L. Brumeyer, and they had a, a, a good program. And then uh, Senior was coached by Rick Arrington, uh, if I recall correctly, and they were, they were always tough. So they were, you know, that was, those are always big inner city games that, and they were and Was senior was against, you know, they were conference games. So that, that just meant, meant even more. But, uh, when we, on the road to the, and I'm trying to remember back conference games. Um, I think Cedar Rapids Wash, Cedar Rapids Jeff were really good. Then Kennedy was good. I mean, it was just typical, you know, it's typical day in the Valley. You know, you, you you go to play against somebody in the valley, you could have your head handed to you real quick. It was just one of the you know there was no there weren't any slouches. I, I don't recall anybody that was uh, a cakewalk. Uh, I, I think even Bettendorf we had to play. They were part of that deal. But going on to the league, going to the state tournament, we had to face. Um, I think we had to face senior and Waller just in the first two games uh, to to get get out of the get out of the district. Uh, and then it went into substate, and then I remember those two games. There were against Decorah and Waterloo, Columbus. Uh, Decorah had a left-hander by the name of Randy Iverson, and I don't know if he ever went on to play uh, college ball or anything, but he picked like three or four guys off in our game that night. We, we played out at Cascade, if I remember correctly, and and the place was packed, and and because Cascade being a, they loved baseball, and they, you know that goes back to jerry rolling and you know the the town teams and everything and so it was that was a uh, we play i think if i remember correctly we played at cascade or dyersville commercial park and i can't remember exactly but i know we played uh, had to play uh decora and waterloo columbus just to get uh to uh to get to the, the four and our state tournament was was uh, down in Boone, iowa and it wasn't, they hadn't switched it, moved it to Marshalltown yet. So we were, we were playing in Boone, Iowa, when, at, and the funny part about that, and I'd be, I'd be remiss if, if I didn't mention this story, is that when we played, we had to, we had to play Coach Kors' alma mater in the semis of that year. That was Fort Dodge. He was originally from Fort Dodge, so we had to play Fort Dodge High School uh, in the semis down here. We beat them, and then it was supposed to be the next day or the following day, and we're and it ended up being it was Council Bluffs TJ and Thomas Jefferson and Burlington in the uh, in the other bracket, and um, Burlington beat Council Bluffs Thomas Jefferson in the other semifinal, and then it rained for about three or four days. And I think we made one trip down to – one or two trips back down to Boone trying to get the game in, and we never did get the game in. And they eventually changed the game uh, game site to Vets Memorial Stadium in Cedar Rapids. Instead of having Burlington and, and us go all the way to Boone, Iowa, they said, Let, let's try to – let's change it, and we ended up playing in Cedar Rapids. And if it wouldn't have been for that game change, the sight change, we would have got beat. Because with two outs and a man on second, we're up two to one, uh, one of their, I can't remember who did it, but somebody hit a deep, deep fly ball to left center. And if it would have if we would have been playing in Boone, it would have broke a window across the on a house across the street. And, and Jeff Merritt caught it up against the wall. Uh, out there and left in, in Vets Stadium down in Cedar Rapids, but uh, if we w- if we would have been playing in Boone, we would have got beat. But it was just that's the type of year we had. Is that we we got so many fortunate breaks uh, that that happened like that, and those are just crazy things. That after you you contacted us about doing that, all these memories started coming back about all all these different things that went on, all the the crazy incidents that led to us winning that championship game.
1: Yeah, every great team and every great season, you have to have those... Circumstances that happen That normally don't happen every year And it seems like those great years They just keep snowballing and snowballing And snowballing Now Jeff Potts of the 1978 state championship teams uh, Were the powerhouses Pretty much the same as In 74 with what Mike said Or did he leave any out And who were some of the If you can remember Some of the uh, star players That you guys had to face from other teams
2: You know uh. We, we as well were in the Old Valley, if you will. Uh, so I always remember in my three years of playing on the varsity in, in uh, you know, uh, 76, 77, and 78, the Kennedy teams were extremely good. Mm-hmm. Extremely, uh, I remember the my first at bat in the Mississippi Valley was uh, against Kennedy, and it, Chuck Johnson, who was an Iowa recruit, he threw three pitches past me i didn't even see him i don't think and and i, I went back in the dugout and i thought to myself if this is how it's going to be i'm in a lot of trouble <laughs> <laughs> but, well, as you get a little more experience as, as we move through i kennedy always had a good team uh i i think beckman uh, comes to mind as they were they were uh they were always tough in the two A situation, and you you always you know there was always an, a possibility you'd have to play them in in the postseason. Cascade always had a solid team, uh, but my senior year, I think the two to the, the two best teams in the state by far were Muscatine and, and Hempstead, uh, and Gary Monroe uh, was their big player in Muscatine. He was a he was a, a football star. And, and a baseball player, and, and he had a cup of coffee in the minors, but he, he was he was just tremendous uh, tremendous uh, uh, baseball player at in, in Muscatine, and, and we beat them, uh, kind of ironically, uh, in the state state semifinal game. We had beaten them twice during the year, and then you know that's the old adage you try to have to beat somebody three games in a row is kind of tough to do, and so lo and behold we we play all the games, we beat all the people, we get down to the, to the to uh, Marshalltown and the first game is against Muscatine. So uh, fortunate enough to beat them. And then uh, we played Emmitsburg in the, uh, in the state championship game. And, and I think what happened in that state championship game was we just basically jumped on them. And I don't think they knew what hit them in the, in the first inning. We just, you know, we scored two or three runs and the ball was hit so hard up their up their big pitcher that, you know, it, it wasn't easy, I shouldn't say, but it was never never really, uh, you know, it was a 8-3 to three game. You know, it wasn't a nail-biter by any stretch of the imagination like Mike talked about. Uh, but I, I do remember uh, senior being very good. And the uh, fact is in 77, they went to the state tournament and they had beat us uh, a, in a game down at Petrakis. Uh, I believe it was 3-2. to two. Uh, and you know that was unfortunate because the '77 team was really good as well. Uh, the general you know, senior senior always put out a good baseball team. Wallert Wallert was down a little bit uh, in the in my years at, at Hempstead. Uh, solid solid uh, baseball teams, but just not nearly as good as senior in Hempstead were. But I think I think if you if you go back and you look uh, Kennedy and maybe Muscatine and Washington. We're the, we're the best teams uh, for that stretch of years that I was there.
1: Yeah, now Mark, you have two years to cover from 1983 and 1984. Who were some of the powerhouses? And I mean, you're 10 years out from when Mike played. Were some of the powerhouses still the same? And, and who were some of those stud players that you came across from other teams?
3: Yeah, so in, in uh, 83-84, our biggest rival in the conference for sure with c it's Kennedy. So our junior year, uh, we went down to Kennedy and took a pounding. Our number one and number two pitchers, Russ, Ruby and I both got pounded and hit around hard and got swept in a doubleheader. Um, they were loaded. Uh, good hitting, good pitching, a couple of ace pitchers, and back then that's what it took. If you had two pitchers that were really good, you could go a long way. He didn't have the pitch counts you have nowadays. So you can ride those two horses a long way. Um, but Kennedy was really good. They had a uh, Kaler kid that was a really good pitcher. Uh, they had a, a couple of Mercer brothers that both played college baseball. Kendi was tough. Like I said, they swept us uh, when we were juniors, um, and then actually later that week we got beat by Maccocata, who won the three state championship. We got ten run ruled by Maccocata, twelve to nothing, our junior year. Uh, before we think, before we turned things around. So, um, and then going back to Candy, our senior year, we played a doubleheader at Hempstead. And uh, the Kaler kid had us uh, no hit through six innings in the first game of doubleheader. And everyone's like, where are these big bats at that have been, you know, hitting all the home runs and driving all these runs all season? And he shut us down and went to win that first game one to nothing. But then it came in the backside of the doubleheader and one to nine to nothing to kind of clinch, clinch the conference. But, our, again, Kendi was really good. As far as conference, Kendi was the team that we were most competitive against, for sure. Um Eastern Iowa baseball was dominant, though, at that time. I mean, McCook had really good teams. Like I said, they won state in 83, I believe. Uh, Beckman was always good. A lot of good players there. Uh, Norway dominated one a baseball for years in that stretch. I think they won four or five, six state titles in a row. And uh, Lansing-Kihai was really good. Went to lansing we were yeah. Juniors, and they beat up on us, too. Pretty good. So there's a lot of good baseball in Eastern Iowa. Um, as far as inner city, senior head. Good hitters. They just didn't have the pitching depth that some of the other schools had, but senior was scary, and I never felt comfortable playing Waller. Waller was dangerous. Junior and senior both. I mean, they had kids that could play. Um, you know, Tom Schmidt and Scott Heinersy and Jim Fields and Brad Bergmeier and Scott Kenny, people like that. They had some guys like Jim Williams. They had some guys that could play, so I don't think they ever beat us, but it was never a comfortable game. You know, three-to-one games, uh, five-to-two, five-to-three, Those type of games where, you know, a break either way. You make a bad pitch and uh, someone hits a home run, you lose. Or you get a bad bounce or an error, and you lose those games. So um, Eastern Iowa in general at that time was really, really good baseball. Good competition.
1: Now, all three of you guys mentioned Cedar Rapids-Kennedy. Now, you may not know this, but was Brett Hoyer their coach back then too? Because he's still their coach and they're still very successful. Or was it a different head coach?
3: I think it was Coach Herkelman. Herkelman,
1: yeah. Herkelman. It was okay. I don't recall. It might have been the same guy that you said, Jeff.
0: But yeah. we were off. And I think they came, we went down there, too, and I think we, we, we split a double with them, uh, if I recall.
1: And yeah, and I believe yeah. he was on their coaching staff when I was at Hempstead as well, because there was always an older guy and they said that he was he was a legend. So that's I know he's recently passed in the in the past couple of years right. now, guys. Coach Core, believe it or not, he actually does listen to the Dubuque area baseball podcast. I was I was thrown through a loop when when I heard that when uh, him and I connected. I'm actually interviewing him tomorrow, but we're gonna start with Mike up there in the corner. What qualities did Coach Core have that made him a Hall of Fame coach and one of the most successful high school coaches in the state of Iowa?
0: Oh boy, that's that's a that's a, a tough question because the thing I remember about Coach Core is he didn't he he was I think part of it is being he was pretty level headed he didn't get real excited he didn't get you know just he he didn't you know he'd yell at you if you if you screwed up and let you know that you know that he he's you know you. He let you know you screwed up, but he was so, he was so level headed, and he talked to you, and he and he, he and he emitted a an air of confidence. He he also he re, he respected everybody. I mean, there was I I don't think I don't think there were, he respected everybody, and in turn he got a lot of respect. I mean, I had I had the uh, was fortunate enough that. Uh, I got to go back to Hempstead in 1986 and, uh, and, and coach and teach at Hempstead and I was there for five years from 86 to 91 and I got to work on uh, work with coach Core. Uh he, he was still the head baseball coach I, I, I was a sophomore coach for one year and in that stretch and it was a, it was like it, it was like an old friend. You, you walked back in and started talking to him and it' was like you, you hadn't you hadn't you you'd been seeing each other every day because you just picked up the same conversation and he and he still had the same teaching philosophy and coaching philosophy and it was just that he was I, I just the biggest thing is that he was just so so level-headed and he just was he knew what he wanted and how to get it done and that's the biggest thing I think. It was just his, his, his level-headedness and his demeanor of what he admitted to the, to the guys. We never felt like we were out of a ballgame. We, if, we if we got beat, we got beat, but it wasn't real high and it wasn't real low. And it was, you know, and sometimes, you know, after, after being in coach and after I left Hempstead, it was, it was things like that that sometimes I wish I would have remembered <laughs> to be more level-headed with, with and listening to him.
1: Jeff how about you uh, what what qualities that Mike didn't mention that you think made him such an outstanding coach
2: you know I think uh, I don't remember if it was uh, Mike that mentioned the practice of, or maybe it even was you mentioning practicing things that you never thought would ever happen right and all of a sudden you go oh man we practiced that but I in my all my my three years of playing and my years of coaching with dick uh the thing that comes to mind to me was we were so good fundamentally by the time kids got to hempstead if you contributed to their parents or to the independent league or the coaching they got in little league or whatever it was we were so fundamentally sound all he all he did was he was like the conductor in a great orchestra right he had the players. He did such a masterful job of, of coaching the kids. And I and I say coach when I say that I I mean it. He coached he coached the kids up. Uh, everyone was important. Everybody had a role, and that was that was way he he conducted himself. And I, I think to to be honest with you, we just ran the bases better. We hit the ball better. And when you played against Hempstead, when we were really rolling back in the in the late mid seventies through maybe ninety, if you will, we were just basically fundamentally and better than the other teams we played. Now we didn't win all the games. There were games where you know we lost, and and we all have uh, the three of us have memories of games that we go, oh man, we should have won those games, and how did we ever lose? We were so much better. But I think the things we did better is we ran the bases, we hit the ball, we threw strikes, we made you earn everything you had that you got. You just didn't get gifts, you know. And I I think if I credit something to Dick is he he worked so hard on fundamentals. He worked so hard on the mental part of the game. And and the defense just – absolutely took care of itself. And, and so for for the stretch there, probably from 74 to 90, or you could argue even a few years after 90, we literally had talent enough to win the state tournament every year. And that's just that's no exaggeration. And that's a credit to him because, you know, did he always have the best talent? No. Did he always have the best pitching? No. But were we always there at the end of the year? Absolutely we were. And, you know, I think that was the envy of Hempstead baseball across the state of Iowa, was our ability to, to really play good baseball for a long, long stretch. And that's a, credit to, that's a credit to Dick and all of the guys that helped him, you know, his different assistants through the years. But, you will know, you'll, you'll, you'll probably get no argument from anybody that he stressed fundamentals and, and defense. And it was, it was amazing how well that worked.
1: I was holding back my laughter here when you mentioned fundamentals because I came across him at a game last year and I always go out of my way to talk to him. And I said, how are the teams looking this year? what, what What can you tell me about this upcoming year? And he goes, Nick, it drives me crazy because nobody teaches fundamentals anymore. He goes, I was just here yesterday and Hempstead hosted the number 10 team in the state and Hempstead, 10-run them one game and 15-run them another game. And he said they had no idea where to go. They had no idea what a double cut was. They had no idea um, the right fielder needed to back up first base on a pickoff move. And I just sat back and let, let him talk. And and I shared with him that I, I agree with you. And, you know, me coaching for 18 years, I mean, we – always stress fundamentals and i I thought of all the lessons that that i learned from him that i wanted to incorporate into my practices and and my game strategies now mark you have it tough because mike and jeff talked a lot of great things about coach core I'm, i'm sure there's a couple that that you can come up with what qualities did you notice in him that made him a hall of fame coach
3: Yeah, so a lot of the same things that Mike and Jeff talked about, for sure, just that calming presence, that quiet confidence, um, always even keeled, um, that just portrayed to the rest of the team and kind of kept everyone in check. Um, I thought he was a great judge of talent. Um, He knew where to put guys in the right spots to be successful. Um, A lot of coaches aren't really that great at doing that. They don't realize, you know, who who needs to bat third in this lineup? Who needs to bat fourth? Who's my best center fielder? Those are things that are really hard to nail down, I think, for some coaches. But Dick had a knack of putting the people in the right spots to have success. And uh, along with that, I think he understood they had really good athletes and good baseball players, and that we had good training, you know, good training grounds in the independent leagues and coaching of freshmen and sophomores and assistants, such such as Jeff, uh, you know, our our senior year, that he didn't overcoach. He knew he had the talent. He focused on the fundamentals. Pitching, defense, hit the ball. Um, like you said, make, make sure you know the fundamentals, you accomplish that in games and you're going to be successful. Um, you know, our senior year were end up being 30 and three. Um, and those two of the games that we lost were games that we could have easily won. One game we didn't really get, weren't really in the game. But when you're 30 and three, I don't care how much talent you had. If you're not well coached, you know, that's, you're not going to, you're not going to have that record. 30-3 has a lot to do with talent, a lot to do with really good coaching, putting people in the right spots and uh, everyone has the fundamentals down and just uh, a true team. He, I think he did a good job of building a team where everyone bought into what he was doing. Even the part-time players that, you know, weren't playing full-time, where they plug in when I was pitching or plug in when Russ is pitching, they were fundamentally sound also. and were good, solid baseball players that contributed to the team. It's mm-hmm. hard to keep that that team chemistry when you don't get to play part-time, but they all bought into it. And that's a real knack as a coach to have that, that situation.
1: It is, and yep. and I almost think that's an era thing now, where if if you're at a school and you're not starting right off the bat, the first thing you do is you look to transfer, or you can't. It's always somebody else's fault. But I played for him as last year in 1999, and you were right about him really not showing emotion. I believe it was you, Mark, that sent me some pictures, and just seeing how big of a smile he had when he was being carried off the field that that brought back some memories because. I can remember in 1999, he invited everybody over to his house, ordered pizza and pop for everybody, and we watched the All-Star game. But the reason why he invited us over to his house is because we were tied for the conference lead. I believe it was with Cedar Rapids Kennedy. And we had just either split or gotten swept, and we pretty much saw the conference Just go out from underneath us because Kennedy was playing a team that wasn't very good and Kennedy ended up getting swept and we ended up winning the conference and TV crews came over and the newspapers showed up and and we were just all going crazy and that was a side of him. That, that I've never seen but it brought back that memory mark when when you sent those those photos to me now guys I will make sure that that he listens to this I know coach core is a very special man to me not only as a coach but as an educator and just an overall great person if you would like to say something sentimental to him or thank him um, now is your time uh, Mike will start with you what would you like to say to uh Coach Core, and the more emotional you get, the better the ratings are. <laughs> <laughs> that,
0: that might not be that might not be too hard to do because he's he he's got a special, always has had a special place in my heart. And he, if he doesn't know it, uh, Coach, you've always had you've been a a, a mentor to me. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go, like I said, from eighty six to ninety when I got into teaching and coaching. Um, I I got to watch him still handle himself and, and how he conducted himself and it to this day I, I still there's times I go through a day and I'll I think about him because uh I know there was a, a year a few years ago when my mother was still alive and and my mom and dad, you know, the parents our parents were great uh fans of of our all our all us guys. As players, because they had a traveling circus. That when that when we played somewhere, the parents were there, and they they adored Coach Core. And the thing that I did is that when my mom had to go into a, a, a an assisted living facility, it happened to be about a block and a half away from Coach Core, across the street from Hempstead. Well, that day, I made I made uh, I made a point. Of going to his house, I I I didn't know if he still lived there behind Hempstead. But what happens is I go, I, I drive by, and there he is. He's he's doing some scraping of the gutters or something outside, and I stopped. And he had his old Hempstead, the green Hempstead hat with the H on it, the yellow, the gold H, and I said you're going to, and this is probably, probably only about five years ago. And I said to him, I says, you better get down. You're going to fall down. And he looked at me, he says, well, you know, if some of these guys would have, you know, stuck around town, maybe I'd have some help. And he was, he was just being himself again, you know, just making, giving, giving me grief, uh, typical, you know. That he was glad to see me, and, and I bet I stayed there a half hour, hour, um, standing in the front yard with him, just talking, because that's how much he, I wanted to make sure that he knew how much he meant to me. Because I wanted to say hi to him, and he's to this day. If I ever, I've introduced him to my son, and my son has been has gotten to meet him, and uh, and so it's it's he, he means a lot to. He's he's helped generations. Of people, uh, you know, go get through life, and he's he's a unique individual, and and he's one of my favorite men that I've ever
1: been uh, associated with. I I would agree with you. So many great things you said there, Mike. Thanks for doing that, and I will make sure that I, I send this off to him, Jeff. What would you like to say to uh, Coach Core?
2: You know, uh, a couple things really come to mind. Uh, I think. Uh, You know, it's one thing to be a good high school baseball coach, but it probably goes without a lot of fanfare as to how good of an educator and a math teacher that man was. Uh, I think the, the kids that took his classes at Hempstead in math would arguably say he was one of their best teachers they've ever had. Uh, he, was a, he was probably equally or greater math teacher than he was a baseball coach. And I think that he would take that as more of a compliment than all the success he had on the, on the, on the baseball field, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I, I probably am a little biased maybe because uh, we are such good friends. Uh, he might be one of the finest people I've ever met. And I say that lightly. I I mean that from the bottom of my heart, there isn't a finer man that has ever walked the halls at Hempstead high school. And I, and I, I'll say that to my grave. I, I have the utmost respect for him, uh, as a baseball coach, as a, as an educator, and also as a Christian man, I, I just, uh, I just can't say enough good things about him. Uh, never met a man more fair and honest. Uh, and, uh, again, uh, You know, just just a wonderful, wonderful human being. And all of the people that he touched on the baseball field and in the classrooms at Hempstead, uh, Dubuque, Hempstead is just very, very fortunate to have somebody that they could call uh, one of their best teachers and best men. I I don't know what else to say other than that. And I know he's probably going to be mad at me, but that's just, you know, it's just true. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Mark will probably say the same thing.
1: Mark, you're up. If you could say yeah. something to Coach Corr right now, what would you like to tell him?
2: Yeah, I, I agree with all those
3: things too. On top of being a great coach, a great mentor, just a quality person, I still do talk to Dick, uh, Dick from time to time or in, into my basketball games, or I'll try to catch a few baseball games during the course of the season. Just a great guy to talk to. Um, I will tell you, like a turning point in my high school career. So we're we're our junior year, we're practicing, you know, early in the season, and you're kind of. Trying to find your spot, where do you fit in? And you really don't know, to be honest with you. Um, typically, you know, back then you wait your turn. The seniors play for the most part around that time in the early 80s. You wait, you wait your turn. You play as a senior. So I remember one after practice, um, Coach Corke came over to me and said, "Mark, do you know how good you can be?" I'm like, "I don't really know." He said, "You can be one heck of a baseball player," and uh, that's all it took that you know he's right and I, I think I can be and uh up until that time I actually had more focus on basketball and uh because of that conversation and the uh, fact that he believed in me I decided to focus more on baseball that's the direction I need to go so he really helped me and the fact that I was able to play college baseball on two state championship teams and uh a short stint professional baseball so he's a big part of that for sure.
1: Thanks for sharing all of your stories, guys. Uh a man that has definitely touched the lives of, of many. Now I wanna ask you real quick. I, I've been to the state tournament as a player and as a coach. I've never made it to the state championship game. So Mike, Jeff, and Mark, what are some of what are the nerves like when you're in that state state championship game, Mike?
0: You know it's it's still, I can still remember it. It was, we didn't, it was, again, it was a, a, a mirror of what, of Coach Core, And we, it was, that was when we were still, I can't remember if we took, I think we took two fifteen 15 passenger vans down, down to Cedar Rapids for that championship game. And it was, it was so businesslike, you know, we, we, we had been delayed like two or three days, four days. I don't remember exactly, um, but it was just, it was so businesslike and we just went about our business. Like we, we, we felt like we, we belonged there and it was just, I don't, I remember the emotion of winning and breaking down in tears as they're handing this The tournament, the the championship, the one note I think I forgot to tell you, everybody, about that game is we only got one hit in that championship game. We got one hit. That was a leadoff inside the park home run by Greg Merritt. It took a bad hop past the left fielder, and it rolled to the wall, and he beat the throw to the plate, and that was the only hit we got all day. Because the the pitcher at Burlington, and you were asking about players, this kid ended up going up playing at Wisconsin before they they uh, um, ended their program in the Big Ten. His name was Russ Larson, and he was the real deal. He he didn't strike Romberg out, but he struck everybody else out. <laughs> we were we were flailing, and the, and we ended up getting a getting scoring two runs off the guy. the first one was the only hit was with Greg's leadoff inside the park home run and and then when that guy hits that ball to deep left and Jeff or Jeff leaning against the wall catching it on the warning track that all I can remember is running to Romberg and shaking his hand and and hugging him and then both of us looking and here comes everybody out of the dugout and we take off running towards left because we didn't want to get trampled by everybody <laughs> it was crazy
1: Jeff what were the nerves like for you when you were playing in that state championship game
2: you know I I don't i guess i just don't remember the nervousness of that uh i i do know that uh you know we we had a special group of guys we really did and you know i remember when the last out was made uh my what my feeling was was yes this is this is what this is why we played to be able to you know win a state championship in a sport like baseball is really special. I mean, it, you know, something that, you know, all of my teammates, when we get together, we talk about. And, you know, be able to share that with Coach Gore, uh, you know, it was, it was really kind of special. And, and I, I think expected a little bit because we were just very, very good. So, I mean, there, there was an air of confidence there. And then I remember in, just to the point of uh, the 84 championship team, uh, when when we we were expected to win because we were so much better than everybody else. And Dick and I were, were really concerned from actually the first practice of the year all the way through the state championship game is to not let things happen that happened the last time we won state championships. And, and you could argue, Mike, probably when you were a senior, you had just as good a team with the exception of Kevin, right? Yeah. yeah. And, I would argue that that team in 79 with Tim Carlson, Gary Potts and Mark Merritt and Terry Kelleher and, and uh, McCarthy and, and you just go right down the list was better than the 78 team and both failed. And yeah. so when we got to the point where we had a chance to do the back to back and we knew we had the team, it was how do we, how do we not let that happen again? And I, I, one of my great stories about Dick was, you know, he was always in charge of the infield, man. He was in charge of the infield. He was going to do everything in the infield, and he didn't care what happened in the outfield. That was for the assistant coach. <laughs> well, he said to me, let's switch. Let's flip it this year. You take the infielders, and I'll take the outfielders. I about had a heart attack. I said, you got to be kidding me, man. What are you talking about? And he goes, no, let's switch it up. Let's try something different. Let's keep it, you know. And so, I hit the ground balls to the infielders, and he hit the fly balls to the outfielders, and and I think Mark might kind of laugh at that because it was really true. I mean, he was such a such in charge of things that he he just knew that he had to do something different that year because we didn't want to blow that that back to back championship, if you will. And it happened twice before yeah. in '75 and in '79. We they, we could have, we should have won. And we did.
1: And and Mark, my question's a little bit different for you. Um, how did teams approach you that second year of that back-to-back team? Did you guys have a uh, target on your back? Um, what was that like after you won it your junior year going into your senior year?
3: Yeah, so in 83, our junior year, we kind of stuck up on people. We weren't expected to be there. We just, you know, halfway through the season kind of turned the corner Things started to click, got hot at the right time, and ended up taking all the way through the state championship game. But uh, I will tell you, our junior in 83, probably not as much nerve because we weren't really expected to be there, but I think there was a lot of adrenaline in that game, the state, state, state championship game in 83. And that you, you don't play through eight o'clock, so you sit around all day trying to keep yourself uh, occupied to make the time go past. And I think, you know, I was forced to pitch the state championship game in 83. And uh, I think I pitched a full game in the bullpen before the game. I was so jacked up. I was throwing, you know, I threw 40 change-ups. I was, I was messing around throwing a change I never threw a change-up in a game. But for some reason, I was throwing a bunch of change-ups in the bullpen. No idea why. So first pitch of the game, I drilled the leadoff batter right in the head. So it may have helped me a little bit that they weren't digging in, but the first pitch of the game I, I hit them in the head. But luckily we got an early lead and went six to one. But uh in eighty-four it was a totally different scenario. We didn't sneak up on anybody. Uh we were ranked number one opening poll all the way through, so we we're expected to win it. And if you didn't win it, you know, you were a failure. So uh, anyone that says we didn't have pressure on ourselves, we definitely had pressure. Whether we admitted it or not, you know, we probably wouldn't admit it. And Coach Korn probably wouldn't either, but uh, when you're expected to win the state championship and uh, if you come up short, you're a failure. That's a lot of pressure, but we definitely got every team's best shot. I mean, Hempstead in general got the other teams' best shot, but that year in particular, um, we got every team's best pitcher. Um, I know two of the losses that we had, uh, one to uh, Iowa City High and one to Charles City, that they, uh, the games they beat us, they started more junk ball pitchers that uh, really kept us off balance. A lot of curveballs, a lot of breaking stuff. And then in both cases, they brought in their closer, who were both first team all pitchers. Uh, Steve Hauser for Charles City, who pitched at Iowa State, um, a lefty that threw in the upper 80s, came in relief and closed us down, struck out uh, me, uh, Russ, and Pat Manders back to back to back, I believe. Um, same scenario in City High. Um, junk ball pitcher, they got a lead. They brought in uh, Scott Flynn, who was a first-team All-State pitcher, All-State quarterback, tall lefty, throwing upper 80s. After seeing those jump balls for six innings, looked like he was throwing low 90s, and that kind of blew us away. But I will say Scott started the second game with a doubleheader. We hit him pretty hard and won the won that second game, so.
1: Now, guys, a question that I have for you is whenever you win a state championship with a group of guys, there's that camaraderie there that not everybody can experience. I know while the 2014 Hempstead Mustangs didn't win a state tournament, we did set the state record for wins, and whenever I see that the current team's lost enough games where they're not going to be able to break that record I always send a text message out to all of the guys that that I used to coach saying well we're going to be in the record books another year so my question for you guys is do you still get in contact do you still get together with that state championship team all these years out or have relationships kind of dwindled away Mike we'll start with you first well, uh,
0: um, I don't get to see a lot of the guys uh, anymore because I think we're all scattered all over the United States. I'm I'm living in Fort Myers, Florida now. I still have a home back in in Illinois, but I'm working down here in Fort Myers uh, and have been for the last been down in Florida for the last four or five years. But uh, still, try to stay in contact with them. One thing, and Jeff and Gas, you might remember this. Ronnie Breitbach, when when Coach Corr retired, we got to Ronnie got all the I, I, did he get all all the teams that went and made it to the state tournament and he played out there at Derby Grange, and that was one of the few times uh, we had enough guys to come back from that team, our '74 team. Not all of them made it back, but it was still great to see everybody, and it was like we never miss a beat. We we tried to get the lineup as close as what we could with the guys we had to what the original lineup was because I can still remember what the lineup was. I, I mean, I was batting eighth and ninth all year because we had all those studs up in front, and and that's just the way it was. But we tried we tried to we it was so funny we just we tried to mimic the lineup and and I think um, part. The reason we were so successful in that tournament, gas. I don't know about you, Jeff. I'm not sure about you either. But when when we were, that was one of the first years of the Jugs machine, and they and we loved it because. We'd put that thing out there and coach Ford would just be feeding this. And he said, crank it up, crank it up. and they were, and he, then he'd set it up for curveballs, and he'd throw that. but it was we we lived off that machine. And going back to that tournament, we had so much fun is because I, I think the other the younger teams hadn't hit off that jugs machine as much as we did. <laughs> it felt like we were more more used to it and because they were used to seeing live live batting practice. and we said, hell with it just throw the throw the put the jugs out there and we'll take quick batting practice and we, we ended up we had more fun that day out there at out in derby grange road with ronnie Braypock out there but uh seeing all those guys it was like they would never miss a beat we were still giving each other the raspberries and making crap out of each other and just you know the, everything was all that we're joking with them and it was just, it was just a, a great time And I wish we could get more together. But I haven't seen a lot of those guys in a while now. So it's been a few years.
1: Jeff, how about you? Uh, Any of the 1978 guys still get together, still communicate with each other on occasion?
2: Oh, sure. Uh, You know, uh, we probably... We're lucky to have a lot of the of my of my teammates and classmates be able to stick around the area. I know I see Dan Kennedy all the time. Uh, Terry Kelleher, who was a, a junior on that team, um, I'm good friends with Mark Merritt. I talk to him regularly uh, over Facebook and and back and forth jabbing each other. Uh, and and I see Mike Ayler's from time to time. I used to see Mike a lot more when when. Uh, we used to work out at the Y together, but for some reason we're not doing that. You know, We don't see each other as much. But uh, I think probably continue to play baseball with those guys from that year and years after that in the pro baseball uh, realm, if you will. I know Mike Denzer and, and, and Kenny Newhouse were really instrumental in getting – getting our Dubuque baseball back together because I think the semi-pro baseball in Dubuque had kind of gone away for a little bit. And then uh, they, they tried to get it back. And I know the bunch of the Hempstead guys started the blues and, and then Mike and Kenny started uh, the the merchants back up. And, and so there was a lot of us that played, that played uh, baseball together for years after we left high school and after we left that, uh, left that, Uh, state championship team and and actually played long enough to so that we got mark played and so you're looking at uh three guys here that played it with uh, some semi-pro baseball not on the same team maybe mike and i did and mark i think i was maybe done when you started playing
3: yeah
2: Uh, uh yeah so we we get together i i see the guys all the time and and it's it's just great to to reminisce and talk about the, the good baseball that we played uh, when we were younger.
1: Mark, are you still in contact with any of the guys get together? I know you're not in Dubuque anymore.
3: Yeah, like Mike said, a lot of our, a lot of my teammates are spread throughout the country. We have a couple of teammates up in California, uh, Texas, Indiana, Minnesota. Wow. They're spread all over. So really our best opportunity to get together is a class reunions. And, uh, you know, 10-year, 15-year, 20-year, and like Mike said, Get that group of people back together, and it's just like you were, you talked to him yesterday, nothing changes. It's yeah. uh, just a lot of good memories, a lot of good times. Um, I think it's a great idea. I'd love to get together with the whole team and bring them back and do some type of get together. Um, you know, you can maintain contact through Facebook and things like that, but to physically see everybody in a group, it's it's definitely been a while.
1: I know I uh, interviewed Coach Rapp on their program spotlight in 2020 season preview. And one of the questions I asked them, which I think would be neat if they ever thought about bringing back any of the guys or bringing back any of the teams and and honoring them, I think that that'd be a lot of fun to extend that olive branch out and see how many guys you can get from the 74 team or the 78 team or the back-to-back in 83 or 84. I think that'd be a Cool way to pay homage to those guys. Now, I want you to think of one funny story, and please keep it PG, but (laughs) – which might be a little tough for Mike (laughs) – but if you could take us either in the clubhouse or in the locker room or in the dugout or on the bus – What is one story that you think is probably the funniest story that happened from that season, or maybe even with the same group of guys years later? Go ahead, Mike.
0: Holy smokes. There's a bunch of them, and I'm trying to... And I don't want to get anybody in trouble. (laughs) Um, Probably... uh, Well... (laughs) it was with Kevin Kevin was we called him i think this is he him and coach core being together for for 3 years you know Kevin was was definitely the leader of the, of the of the team and his uh, when he gets he'd get excited or you'd start in a discussion with him he'd he uh, he really 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 fast and he almost sounded like he was um, he was he was talking Spanish, and so so we nicknamed him the Puerto Rican because he spoke so fast. And he would get going, and if we ever wanted to get him going, he we just call him. Just shuts Puerto Rican, and he just get madder in heck. And the one thing he hated to do, he had this he had this one quirk. And this is probably the best story that I can tell. It's PG. If if you went up and touched him, he had to touch you back. So you were always playing tag with him. He he had to have the last. Instead of having the last word, he had to have the last touch. So if you and to this day, I still think he does it because when we had that had that tournament out there at Derby Grange, I went up to him and just just to see how he'd do it, went up and touched him. He had to touch your back. you have to go touch him? He'll touch your back. He's got to have the last touch. And it it, it drove it drives him nuts. You can touch him and run and he'd chase you. It was one of the it was one of the craziest things. It was just one of his quirks, but it was it's one of the things I remember the most about that year because he he tried to get away from guys that tried to get away from him. They never got away from him ever. He always got the last touch.
1: (laughs) It's it's interesting that that you mentioned that because we're going to do some preseason awards with the current players, and we're gonna. Um, do a all debut team, and our preseason, or actually our MVP award is called the Romberg Award, and when I was researching him, he was named one of men's fitness most superstitious athletes during his time period, which we did not connect on this, so thanks for sharing that. Now, Patsy. Keep it PG here. And maybe even go PG thirteen if you'd like. I, I can't give that to Mike because I don't know where he would go with that. But uh, a memorable, got, funny story from your time.
2: I got, I got a great Kevin Romberg story. So he was four years ahead of me. You know, I came in as a freshman. He, he went out uh, in '74, and so he went to Lewis. Had an incredible uh, career at Lewis University over in uh, Romeoville. Four yeah. year. Fast forward to four years, I go over there, and I'm going to the first practice, and everybody knows about Hempstead in Dubuque because of Romberg. And so a couple of the older upperclassmen came up to me, and they wanted to know, did they really name a street after Kevin Romberg? In <laughs> <Dubuque>? <laughs> I started laughing because, you know, he, he must have told them. <laughs> he was so famous. That they named, Street and it was in, you know, and you couldn't deny because it, it was in the phone book, right? Romberg Avenue. Even... I yeah. started, I go, no, that might've been after his great grandpa or his great, great grandpa, but it wasn't after Kevin. He wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> but that's the character that he was. And, and, it, and it followed me to college for crying out loud. But you no, know, uh, uh, f- funny stories, uh probably not so much when I, when I was a, a junior and a senior, but my, when it comes back, Mike, and you probably will remember this story too, is because we used to go to Muscatine, and that was the old 61. Man, it took like two and a half hours to get down there. It seemed like you never got there. Then yeah. when you got dunk stunk like hell, right? Yeah. I mean, it stunk like hell. And so you go in there, and you come down old 61, and on it was like Dodge Street in Dubuque, right? There was gas stations and restaurants all through 61 going through Muscatine. And there was this one fast food restaurant, and it had a neon sign, and root beer and sandwiches ran together on the neon sign. And I'll never forget Spinozo Just after court, he wanted to stop there after the game to get a root beer sandwich. He had never had a root beer sandwich his hmm. entire. Day. He wanted, he wanted a root beer sandwich. And you know, back then, Cor, Coach Cor was afraid to let anybody off the bus because you never knew what was going to happen with him. He <laughs> I mean, had kind of a reputation, didn't we, Mike? You yeah. <laughs> know. Kind of a reputation we get we got off the bus you never knew what the hell was going to happen right so he limited us to mcdonald's and that was it so uh-huh. <laughs> he relented and to let us off do you remember i'll never forget we get off of the bus and we all go into that little little root beer sandwich restaurant <laughs> trying uh-huh. to get uh, to, it was it was actually comical and you you can the terror in Cora's eyes when he let us off i mean it was <laughs> I, I, yeah, but he, Joe was just adamant. He the whole doubleheader. We're gonna stop for those Ripper sandwiches, right, Coach? We're gonna stop. So finally, they yeah, we stopped on the way out of town. Oh my God, that that was just <laughs> I forgot oh, about yeah. <laughs> that Ripper sandwiches.
1: That's a new one for me. I didn't know there was such a thing.
2: Well, I didn't know it either. But boy, oh boy, it was it was just it was relentless, and so he he gave in, and we did. He stopped. We didn't get any for Sam. No, Joe Spinoza. because
0: that's just.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was Joe Spinoza was one talented individual, and you yeah. know, Mike, you know, with Joe, he was one of the few guys that I ever remember that pitched off the top of the rubber. You remember yeah. he never, he never, you know, people got their murder. bikes down in there or whatever. He pitched off the top of the rubber, and, and it drove Dick Corp crazy. Yeah. Just, Crazy, and he could really throw without you know using that rubber to his advantage. I mean, the guy the guy could really bring it, yeah. so he it off the top of the rubber. It was just wild. Yeah.
1: Oh God! Now, Mark, same question for you. uh What would be one story that is just absolutely hilarious that you feel you need to share? Well,
3: there's a lot of a lot of funny stories from that group of players from high school all the way back to independent league. So. One topic that comes up over and over and over again as the years go by is the legend of Russ Ruby. Everyone asks me, "Tell me how good was Russ Ruby?" It's, it's never ending. If I had a dollar every time I was asked that question, I'd be a millionaire. How good was he? Tell me about him. So, people that didn't see him play, yet you have to realize he was a man way in junior high. He just dominated people in every sport. Um, He was a great basketball player. In junior high, he averaged over 40 points a game. You know, played varsity baseball as a freshman. But one of the biggest benefits to me was uh, getting to high school so I didn't have to play against Russ anymore. I could play with him because he was obvious, he was dangerous to play with when we were younger. He was so much bigger and stronger than everybody that pitching, of course, from the 55 foot rubber. He was throwing, you know, mid to maybe high 80s as an 8th grader. And when he let it go up the ball, he's probably 45 feet from you. And as a hitter, when you're pitching to him, and I'm pitching from a 55-foot rubber, and he's hitting lasers back at you. Um, I remember, again you know, I was pitching against him down at Independent League, and Pete Hinkles was our coach for the Brewers. And I was pitching, and I threw a fastball in the outside corner to Russ, and Russ hit the laser back at me. It hit me right to the right of the cup region <laughs> oh, and put me to my knees. Direct shot. And uh, I remember Pete Hinkle's coming out and saying, "Yo, Mark, are you okay? I'm like, I have no idea. I can't feel anything from my waist down. <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure he was dangerous to play against when you're in junior high yeah. because he was so physically strong, um, threw so hard and could hit the ball so hard that it was a blessing to get to high school when you didn't have to play against the anymore to actually went with the guy.
1: Question for you, Mark. You still have the seam marks still there today.
3: Uh, no. No? Luckily, they're gone.
1: <laughs> well, but, that's, uh, that's good to hear.
3: Yeah, the next day, my whole right thigh was bruised all the way down to my knee.
1: Yeah. Oh.
3: So luckily, no permanent damage. Could have been much worse.
1: Yeah, that's good. And it's good to know that it doesn't affect you getting up and up and down the court when you're refing as well. Now, guys, I, I do want to end on a serious note here before we get into the seventh inning stretch question, which is some uh, audience driven questions here. I hope that high schoolers will listen to this. Um, and I hope the Hempstead community listens to this. But Mike, Jeff and Mark. If you had to give some advice to high schoolers right now playing high school baseball or kids in the independent league playing baseball, what advice would you give them on what you think it takes to be a state champion? And Mike, we'll start with you.
0: That's a really good question. I think... Couple things as a as a former one. Thank your parents. Thank your parents. You know, make make sure you you tell them thank you, and make sure they realize how how fort how fortunate you feel with them backing you. Because if it wasn't for your parents getting to play, getting you to, to the games and back and forth and and backing you in that. That is is probably one of the the that's that's a huge thing. Is make sure you thank your parents and thank your family for following you. The other thing is, and Jeff, you kind of alluded to this earlier in our in in all our talking this, this afternoon. Is to be honest with you, I think play play other sports. Don't don't. I, I've become a after coaching basketball and and seeing all us guys that we played in high school uh, at the college level. I coached college baseball as well. It was I liked the athletes. Athletes, uh, I think if they're if they're a more rounded athlete, I think a baseball player is probably hitting a round ball with a round stick and hitting it square is probably the toughest thing in the world to do. I you know. Uh, as much as I loved coaching basketball, I loved playing baseball, and it's the hardest. I still think it's the hardest thing to do. But I think at the same time, we we were so well versed in other sports. We were all good athletes, and I think it actually helped. Uh, you know, don't get don't because I think what I see nowadays is that kids concentrate on on being one with one sport, and sometimes I think they get burned out. I think they get a little burned out. You're just working on that same sport. If you're if you're a basketball player, play baseball. If you're a baseball player, play basketball. Play football. Play you know. And the other thing is that's and I I wish I would have played more golf
2: because
0: <laughs> then I would I would have got into pots pocket more often. Because he got into I think more than anybody. <laughs> but I think I really think is just. Be uh, trying to stay serious here is be 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 able to keep your options open and, and participate in everything because one I think the biggest thing out of all that is if you're out practicing baseball out playing baseball basketball football get involved in a, a team organized sports or individual sports you're good, you're you're apt to get in less trouble.
1: You're apt to get in less trouble because they got less free time on their hands. I I agree with you that there definitely I think of my neighborhood whatever sport was in season that's whatever sport we played if it was basketball season everybody was out playing basketball baseball we're playing baseball Uh, I might have to hit up Potsy for some golf lessons because I've never golfed a day in my life and since I'm no longer coaching baseball I bought a set of golf clubs and that's going to be my new hobby so be looking out for me on the golf course I'm sure you'll probably hear four from me a couple times but Jeff all seriousness here. It, what advice would you give to high school kids and independent league kids on what you think it takes to be a state champion?
2: You know, uh, I think it's, it's, it's a little more simple than we need it to be. Uh, one thing that I've, I've noticed about it, and, I, and I've had a, a, a son that went through uh, the, the independent league. Uh, yeah, he's, he's in his 20s now. And we played a lot of baseball. Uh, one thing I think today is different than when Alex even went through his playing days is there's so many different things to do. So there's there's more options than there ever was. And baseball is a game that you have to learn and be fundamentally really good at it. And, you know, you can get by in basketball uh, with better athletic ability, you can get better at football if you're bigger and stronger and faster. But to beat people at baseball, you have to be very good at it. And it's hard for kids today to find a place to practice. It's just that simple. I mean, there's no backyards to play in anymore. Uh, there doesn't seem to be the ability for kids to get on their bikes and drive to the baseball field and play when they, but they're much easier to put their uniform on and go to the Two or three games a week in the independent league. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. But where you learn how to play baseball is playing baseball amongst your friends in yeah. That's where you learn how to play baseball. You make you 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 make your own rules. You follow the rules, and you you work on your fundamentals. And I I, I bet if you ask uh, people of our generation or a little older, like Coach Core, Coach Rowling, You'll, you'll see that that's just the case. I think if you want to be a state championship team, you have to really be good at the fundamentals. And, you know, and, and I always laugh because it, I used to tell my son and the kids when, when we coached them, right, it's a simple game. And this is a quote from Bull Durham, the movie Bull, Bull Durham. And uh, Kevin Costner says it. It's a simple game. You throw the ball. You catch the ball. You hit the ball, right? That's baseball. But to be really good at baseball, it's all the little things that make it good, right? It's yep. taking your base. It's uh, you know stealing a base when they're not when the other team isn't expecting it. Uh, bunt defense—all the little things that that you know we were really good at when when we won those state championships. Guys, would you agree with that? I think everyone would agree that we were just really good at that stuff. I mean, our from our bunt defenses to our uh, number signs that nobody could ever figure out the number signs. What the hell is he yelling down there? Number 10, 10. Everybody's looking around like, what, 10, you know? And, uh, you know, so I think all those little things, all those little things that, you know, you really need to watch baseball. How many kids today sit down and actually watch a nine-inning baseball game on TV? Yeah, not many. very much. Yeah. And I'm telling you when Mike and you and I and even probably Mark when you when you know you ran home after school to get to watch that Cubs game. Yeah. You got yeah. you as fast as you could so you could get that Cubs game so you could watch the game. You learned how you learned baseball by watching it, right? Mm-hmm. It's just being Euchre or or any other card game. You learn by playing and, and watching. Yeah. And I think that this thing from today's game, you know, they they go and I always used to say my my dad used to say, "Well, he's Alex is not practicing. He's, he should be out there practicing more." And I said, "Dad, he plays five or six games a week. When he's done playing baseball, he don't want to practice baseball. He's done." Yeah, that yeah. kind of what's gone, you know. And I can tell you this is a, a a good story. When I went to when I went to Hempstead, and I was a freshman, that was the first the first baseball uniform I ever put on. Hmm. All those years down at the independent league in blue jeans and a t-shirt, yeah. had the same hat. Yeah. So, all about yeah. I mean, the game was big, man. The game was big. Now the game is just another another thing that my parents are taking me to. Yeah. If, yeah. if, there, if yeah. I could, the one thing for kids, if I could get them, give them one bit of advice, I know as painful as it might be, you got to watch the game. Watch yeah. the game. Learn from the people. And and that's that's one thing that I think's gone. I mean, I really really do think you know they're sitting down and watching a full nine inning game. It's, it might even be painful for me now, <laughs> you know, because it's kind of slow and it takes a long time. But that's how you learn, you know. You learn. And Mark alluded to it earlier. When you were a junior at Hempstead, you watched the seniors play. That's how it worked, and you know that was the tradition. And Dick always gave the seniors. To his credit, an opportunity, and if there was a junior that was better, then they stepped in. But for the most part, if you were a junior, you watched for a year. Yeah. Watched for a year, and you learned how it went. And then you stepped in when you were a senior, and I think that year over year really was uh, contributed to a lot of success that we had at Hempstead. But I think that the lack of not watching the game has really – really gone away that's that's been a, a one thing i think is a
1: changed if you will thanks for sharing that jeff i i 100 agree with you on watching baseball and participating and practicing baseball as well mark what do you think it takes to be a state champion what advice would you give high school kids and independent league or little league kids listening to this right now yeah
3: first off i agree with mike that um, I think it's important to play other sports. You know, in those state championship teams, most every player played other sports. Whether it be basketball, football, track athletes. Um, I think playing other sports really helps you become a better all-around athlete, and will help you in baseball. Also, I think it's important to be coachable. There's a lot of good coaching opportunities in Dubuque. Great training uh, available in Dubuque. Um, take advantage of it. If you're serious about being a really good baseball player, and you want to play on a state championship team. Take advantage of the time you have and the resources that are available in Dubuque. Um, There's great resources to improve your game. Um, Also, be a a good teammate. Um, Not only be self-driven, but actually help motivate other friends and other teammates to to better themselves, too. That's one of the things I think we did a really good job of on our state championship teams, was that we were driven not only to push ourselves, but to push others. And, uh, uh... Make everyone up their game, basically, if they wanted to play. There's constant competition, uh, but no jealousy. Um, just constant competition that everyone just step up their game and be a better player. Um, I'd say if you're serious about being a better player, you want to play on a top-level team, you need to set goals for yourself. You need to develop a plan how you're going to reach those goals and then work your butt off. It takes work. Uh, if you're willing to put the work in and you've got the talent, you've got the opportunities for coaching and training, uh, take advantage of it because time goes fast, and before you know it, you'll be uh, 30 years removed from your high school days, <laughs> like me, 30 years plus. And, uh, you didn't wonder how, that, how fast that time went, too, how that happened.
1: <laughs> you're you're exactly right. We just had Eric Munson on as a guest, former Major League Baseball player, and his advice was you got to be ready to work. And you got to get ready to be bored because you're going to be doing a lot of drills and a lot of things that aren't the most exciting aspects of the game, but truly do make you a better player. I'd like to thank Mike Dunstner and Jeff Potts and Mark Gassman for joining me. Our last section that we're going to do now is called the seventh inning stretch where we did have a couple of audience-driven questions. So stick around for that. Next is our seventh inning stretch segment of the podcast, which is audience-driven questions. Sit back and enjoy. First question we have comes from Randy Bear and it's for Mark Gassman. Now, Mark, earlier in the podcast, you had said if you had a dollar – For every single time somebody asked you how good Russ Ruby was, you would be a millionaire. Well, when I send you a thank you card for being a guest on the show, I'm going to include a dollar because we have another Russ Ruby question for you. And it said, how far did you ever see Russ Ruby hit a baseball? So if you could tell us the story, give us an estimate on maybe the furthest baseball you've ever seen him hit.
3: There's no doubt in my mind I'd see him hit the ball over 450 feet. Maybe 475. If they ever measured the second fence at Hempstead, that was always our goal in batting practice, if someone could clear the second fence. I know in several several practices Russ cleared that second fence. So no doubt in my mind, 450, uh, pushing 475, I would say.
1: Wow, and I know uh, Jeff Rapp and myself, we saw Western Dubuque player Nate Rambler, hit the roof of one of those houses in a game before, that's that's quite a shot. Now the last question of the seventh inning stretch is from Joe Murray, catcher, 1999, I played with Joe, and his question is, did you ever hear Coach Core swear or accidentally sw- slip a bad word? Mike?
0: No, I shouldn't. I know there was times with with our team that he was thinking it, but I I can probably swear on a stack of Bibles I never heard him swear because even when coaching with him he never no I don't think he ever did.
1: Jeff Potts, how about you? Did you have you ever heard Coach Core accidentally swear?
2: Never. Never. In all of my times around him, no, I I don't remember it. I'm I'm sure he was thinking it from time to time, but never never did it come out of his mouth that I can remember.
1: Gas, I feel that uh after spending an hour and a half with you I can call you that. Go ahead. Mark Gasman ever?
3: I can honestly tell you I cannot recall a time that Coach Corr swore. I can't recall it.
1: But, I can tell you we're going we're gonna to end this on a funny note here. I am 150% sure he never swore because my group of friends had Coach Core as the head sophomore football coach at Hempstead, and one time a referee made a poor call on a clip that cost them the game-winning touchdown at the time, and Coach Core called him a turkey. So anybody that calls somebody a turkey, I can tell you they've never sworn. And also um, I made the final out in 1999 to send us – actually not made. I caught the final out. And I know um, it was hit to me, a fly ball on the infield, and I called for it at first base. And uh, he put his head down, and the dugout claims – I'm not sure if they're just giving me a hard time, but he said, please – somebody call it besides him and um, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, I took charge I was filling in for a guy I was the backup first baseman who had uh, blown his hamstring out during that game but I would like to thank Mike Dunstner from the 1974 state championship team for joining us and Jeffrey Potts from the 1978 state championship team from Hempstead and back-to-back state champions 1983 and 1984 from Hempstead, Mark Gaspin, Guys, thank you for taking the time out to um, tell us about the the golden days, the good old days, and for sharing some of those uh, memories. If you're ever back in town, please... Uh, let's, let's get together and let's, uh, have a coffee or two and, and, and catch up. Does that sound good?
2: You can count on. Right on. Yeah, Nick, give me a call if you want some golf lessons.
1: <laughs> Believe me, I will, I will call you way too many times. You should not have opened that can of worms. <laughs> Thanks guys. And thank you for listening in. We really appreciate that. We know when we hear Mariano Rivera's music in the background, the podcast is coming to an end just like the game did when he entered. Stick around for closing time. Know when you hear Mariano Rivera's music, Enter Sandman, that the podcast and the game, when he entered, is coming to an end. For the Minute with Manaman during the Closing Time segment, I want to start you off with a quote. Don't inspire to be the best on the team. Aspire to be the best for the team. Think in today's society, When we're given adversity, instead of learning from it and getting better, we play the blame game. I'm not starting at shortstop because the coach doesn't like me. I didn't get that promotion because my boss played favorites with the person that he gave it to. Now, the podcast just had Mike and Jeff and Mark. Three guys from four state championship teams. And they talked about how there were role players on the team. There were juniors and underclassmen who sat, learned the game, learned the program, and waited for their opportunity. Some of them never got that opportunity until they were a senior. Some of them, when the senior struggled to failed, jumped right in and made the most of that opportunity. They didn't transfer. They didn't blame. They took it as a life lesson and they learned. They battled through that adversity and they got better. And ultimately, it led to four state championships for Hempstead High School. So when adversity hits your life, learn, grow. And don't make that same mistake again. And just like that, six four three, we're out of here. Post game show is brought to you by.
0: Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.
1: Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. You can find us on social media. Facebook and Instagram by searching "The Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Manaman. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, find us on Spotify, and subscribe.